0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: After years of discussion, G7 finance ministers have reached a historic agreement to reform the global tax system, to make it fit for the global digital age, but crucially to make sure that it's fair.
0: G7 finance ministers hail their deal for a 15% global minimum corporate tax rate, but already face criticism that it doesn't go far enough. China's export growth slows, coming in short of expectations, while imports jump more than 50% as the world's second largest economy continues its post-pandemic recovery.
2: U.S. job creation picking up but falling short of forecasts, adding to expectations that the Fed will hold off from raising rates and typing policy, with investors awaiting key inflation data later this week. And Angela Merkel's CDU party fights off a challenge from the far right to win a crucial state election in Germany, giving Armin Laschet a boost in his run for the chancellorship.
3: Meanwhile, Israeli coalition leaders meet to discuss their new government, while Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu claims his demise as leader would represent the greatest election fraud in history.
0: So, a very warm welcome, everybody, uh, to Squatbox this Monday morning. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Jeffrey. Welcome I, I guess
2: I don't need to go to Cornwall now.
0: No. They've done the big
2: news. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, you don't have to bunk up with the cameraman and the producer.
2: Oh, did you have
0: to tell them about that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We've all got our own pain this morning. Uh, G7 <laughs> finance ministers have backed a proposal 3 <laughs> yeah, for a global minimum corporate tax of at least 15%. The breakthrough coming during a meeting in London ahead of the leaders summit that Steve is going to head down to in Cornwall this week. Well the agreement provides fresh impetus apparently to talks being led by the OECD and will be put forward to the G20 at a summit in July. The UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak welcoming the deal of course saying it will lead to a modernisation of the global tax system.
1: After years of discussion, G7 finance ministers have reached a historic agreement to reform the global tax system, to make it fit for the global digital age, but crucially, to make sure that it's fair so that the right companies pay the right tax in the right places, and that's a huge prize for British taxpayers. It, it's, a, it's a very proud moment, and I want to say thank you to my G7 colleagues, for their collective leadership, and for their willingness to work together to seize this moment, to reach a historic agreement that finally brings our global tax system into the 21st century.
2: Yeah, almost, Rishi. We'll come to that in a few moments' time. Right, the US uh, Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, uh, said the proposition uh, would create an equal playing field.
3: The G7 has taken significant steps this weekend to end the existing harmful dynamic making commitments today that provide tremendous momentum towards achieving a robust global minimum tax at a rate of at least 15%. That global minimum tax would end the race to the bottom in corporate taxation and ensure fairness for the middle class and working people in the U.S. and around the world. The global minimum tax would also help the global economy thrive by leveling the playing field for businesses and encouraging countries to compete on positive bases, such as educating and training our workforces and investing in research and development and infrastructure.
2: Well, I mean, you've got, you've got to worry when the likes of Amazon say, yeah, we really welcome this deal. Uh, elsewhere, Facebook's vice president of global affairs and former UK deputy prime minister Nick Clegg said the proposal is, quote, a significant first step. Now, in a statement to CNBC, a Google spokesman uh, said the company hoped for a balanced and durable agreement. So the tech companies love it. That's good news. Uh, right. Irish finance minister and Eurogroup president Pascal Donohoe uh, cautiously welcome the deal, tweeting that any deal will have to meet, quote, the needs of small and large countries developed and developing as well. Well, there's lots of things we don't know about this deal as well. So let's bring Karen in as well, uh, because I mean, I know that she's uh a had some views on this as well. Good morning to you, Karen. Well, I'll just start off with a couple of things. One, 15 percent. Show me a major country in the world that has a 15 percent minimum tax rate for a start as well. The answer is none of them as well. And for a second point, I'll say this is the G7. They haven't persuaded the Chinese. They haven't persuaded the Indians. They haven't persuaded the Vietnamese. They haven't persuaded the South Africans, the Brazilians, etc., etc., uh, to agree with this as well. So battles ahead on both the G20 front and indeed on the broader 139 countries in the OECD. E, C, D as well, Uh, and actually the other point is as well: as will all the loopholes actually be closed on this one as well? Because I actually agree with one of our guests who's coming up a little bit later on. Fifteen percent, it's not that ambitious. Karen, I don't know if you've got a view.
3: It could have been more ambitious, and the starting point had a, a two-handle at the front of it, don't forget, but it was pulled back to a 15% level to just get it over the line effectively, and it is a big monumental moment to, to get co- global coordination on such a big tax issue, and if you think about all the deep requirements for governments at this point to pay for the pandemic, to pay for infrastructure, planned stimulus on the back of what's transpired with deep economic fallout from the crisis, it is the right point in time, but that said, As you highlight, there are challenges. Getting momentum at the G20, that will be the next big stop next month. Can they achieve the same level of cooperation? You get past G20 at the OECD level. We're talking double-digit numbers of countries that also need to sign up. And one of the other major hurdles comes down to domestic governments, whether the United States will pass legislation on this particular deal and allow it to go through. And and that's quite crucial. As you talk about very slim numbers, too, and various governments around the world, does it pass muster when there are domestic challenges at home? And, and, you know, if you look at various different points of time, you can see that governments feel differently about the level of taxation. You know, we've also seen it with that very big uh, generous tax incentives that uh, President Trump Trump enacted during his uh, time in office versus where President Biden now sits, you can get very different ends of the spectrum domestically. And that is a challenge as we talk about countries around the world signing off on this piece of legislation now. So I agree the hurdles and as we talk about implementation, the money needed now it may not be until about 18 months, two years until this could be implemented at best. Jeff,
0: yeah, let me just pick up. I mean, Steve was saying uh, there really weren't many countries that have a 15% tax rate. Fortunately, for about a decade, I managed to live in one, and that was uh, <laughs> Hong Kong, effectively, that ran a 15% tax rate, and they collected that tax at the end of the year. Was so it good coming
2: back to England to, after that,
0: well, it felt pretty rough, I have to say, but. <laughs> But so, um, what that illustrated was that it is possible for an efficient government to run an economy with full services, great street lighting, great police service, lots of um, uh, different uh, opportunities to incentivize companies for research and development and so on and so forth. And it was a 15% rate and there was a relatively high bar on earnings before you had to pay that. I think then it ultimately got adjusted upwards after I left, and of course then we, we've seen other events unfold in Hong Kong. Well, they lost one of their Hong bigger Kong.
2: earners, so they had to make up for it by well, putting in tax, you. yeah.
0: But, but obviously we've seen other events unfold in Hong Kong which have changed the attractiveness of, of Hong Kong now, even though the tax... Tax incentives are very strong. Uh, The other arguments for going to Hong Kong are not so good. And that's really where I just want to make this argument. Because I think you've made both made terrific points about the challenges and the hurdles and the technicalities ahead here. The point I want to make is the one about Asia and China specifically. Will China climb aboard this tax deal at this point? That to me seems very unlikely at this stage, unless the G7 knows something that we don't at this point, because China already uses its tax policy as a way of providing incentives domestically for businesses and sectors of the economy. Are they going to be willing to sign up to a global arrangement that then parcels out responsibility to a, a global um, set of agreements? And I find it difficult to believe at this stage And the point is, what does the G7 represent? About 11% of the global population, about 30% of global economic activity as a whole, which leaves an awful lot Uh, of... Nearer 50% of global wealth, though. Which leaves a lot of other activity Mm. at this point that won't be signed up to this so-called global tax deal. So whilst I'm prepared to say great first step, looks interesting at this point, there are so many potential problems at this stage that it's difficult to be as euphoric yeah. as Rishi Sunak or those other leaders at the G7. I'll
2: just make one more point that I might have made a few times over the years. I think governments are broke if we get proper inflation back in many ways. I think governments are going to really struggle if we get interest rates having to go up because of there is an inflationary impetus that may or may not happen. We have that conversation many times as well. The fact of the matter is global debt levels are absolutely stratospheric at a sovereign level as well. They've got to find some of that money at some stage. I agree that they're never going to pay all of it down again. And we might be in for uh, higher debt to GDP than we've ever experienced in most countries. Japan, of course, already over a 230% debt to GDP. Uh, some of that money has got to be found somewhere. It was always going to have come from these kind of players, if the tech companies are making hay and cleaning up, bit of a redistribution going on away from shareholders, perhaps to the treasuries around the world.
3: Let me pick it up there and talk about uh, what we're seeing on the data front as well as we weave in some of the economic dynamics. US non-farm payrolls rose by 559,000 in the month of May, missing expectations for the second straight month. The hospitality sector led gains with almost 300,000 jobs added as the unemployment rate fell to 5.8%. Wage gains accelerated over the month, rising 0.5%. Speaking to CNBC after the data was released, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester said the FOMC's current approach is still right. We're going to get to the point where the economy has come back enough,
4: right? There has been substantial further progress and we're going to want to change our policy stance on asset purchases, Um, And then later on, if things go, you know, according to what we're hoping, right on the funds rate. But again, right, those things can take time. And I, I think we've been deliberately patient. And I think that's been the right strategy.
2: Good thing about these markets at the moment is if you've got good numbers, bad numbers, no matter what, they'll find a reason to buy this market. And that's pretty much what's happening. We'll speak to Michael uh, Yoshikami about this in a few moments time. The fact of the matter is everyone decided uh, this was actually what they wanted to see uh, on the payroll, i.e. strong figures, but not too strong as well. Uh, almost Goldilocks like. And we haven't used that one for a little while, have we? So that's what the U.S. markets uh, did on Friday. Big gains for the Nasdaq Composite. We're a 0.2% away, I think, on the on the. Uh, 500 uh, from our record high as well. The Dow's about just under a percent away as well. So the markets like what they saw, i.e. an improving jobs picture, but not improving too quickly as well. But of course, then we can carry on having this huge debate about the slackness or not in the US labor market. I've seen some very, very good commentary on both sides of the equation. Those who think actually uh, the reason why we're not seeing more job gains is because you can't find the right workers. So what kind of slack is that? You can't find qualified workers to fill those roles. And I will draw your attention uh, to the amount of hiring opportunities and openings out there. There are absolutely thousands of them out there in the United States. Well, are people finding the right employees those jobs? It seems in many cases, no. Anyway, the treasury's liked it as well. And that's why the yield on the uh, 10-year came off quite aggressively to 157.38. So the physical, uh, enjoying the underlying uh, move to the upside as the yield came off on the 10-year. And across the curve, to be fair, 2.25 on your 30-year paper as well. We have got CPI later in the week as well. Another hot print there, and that will be uh, mostly debated as well. But I'll tell you what I'll do later on. I'll just tell you some commodity prices moves year to day, and you can tell me that they're all just transitory. How about I'll do that for you? They are massive. They are absolutely massive. Right, let's have a look at the dollar crosses as well. We have actually pretty... Steady compared to where we were. I mean, really, we're not seeing any great momentum out of the dollar in the last week. In fact, I've got a, a number for you. Here you go. Dollar index last week up 0.09 of 1%. So uh, a lot of people calling a longer-term demise of the dollar as well. Didn't see any of it last week, although, of course, we are trading bang on our lows for the last five years on the dollar index. 141.43 on sterling. Uh, Euro dollar 121.64. Asian indices look like this. Mildly easier on most of them. Nikkei's up 03 of 1%. And the opening calls for European markets today. Again, very steady markets. uh, Small inclines across the board uh, for a whole host of indices last week. I'll just give you the week-to-date moves. The Dow, for instance, was up 0.7%. So was the FTSE. DAX was up 1.1%. VIX, by the way, is now down 28% year-to-date. So uh, there you go. When you finish with Michael, my question for him is, where's the volatility gone? Uh, Michael Yoshikami is the CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, good
0: morning to you. Nice to have you on. the program with us um the jobs report was largely benign it it seems and it uh, encouraged uh, some to go back into the market on friday in any way does it change what you feel in terms of the allocation that you're making or your sentiment towards potential upside
4: Uh, no it doesn't and i think steve had it right it really was viewed by the market as Um, some growth, but not too much growth to cause the Fed to have such a strong reaction to raise interest rates. If the 10-year Treasury at 1.6 right now, still very, very low. We'll see what the CPI numbers look like. But at this point, it's hard to really see, um, even though there's inflation on the ground, even though oil prices are going up, gas prices are up, food prices are up, Uh, it's just hard to see what's going to uh, motivate this market to really pull back at this point. Um, We do have this issue with labor that's going to be a major issue. You're absolutely right. Um, What's been said is that you, you, you cannot find good quality workers right now, qualified workers, or willing workers. There's really two categories, qualified and willing. We're kind of in that transition where the unemployment stuff is all getting phased out. And until then, that's going to could have put a cap a little bit on inflation, where you're going to have still unemployment rates be a little bit higher.
0: Let me come back to that because I think there's um, there's a lot of difference between willing and skilled at this point, and there is an yeah. argument that a lot of people are choosing not to make themselves available for work because they're still worried about the pandemic, or they are just getting enough government support at this stage that they don't feel they right. need to go back into the workplace. Um, Which do you think it really is? Because we have either got a structural problem here, which is going to generate inflation, or we don't.
4: Uh, I don't think it's so much the COVID situation in the United States, uh, particularly after Memorial Day weekend uh, a few days ago. People are out. People are going out. Even in California, where I live, June 15th, theoretically is a date that people can kind of go out and enjoy themselves. So I don't think it's so much COVID that's holding back. I think it really is. Um, there really is this huge pile of money that is floating in the system right now from unemployment insurance to supplement, supplemental unemployment insurance, stimulus checks, more stimulus checks. And, and I just think that you have folks that are really caught in a transition right now. They're sort of waiting for the smoke to clear before they actually head back into the workforce. The other thing I want to point out here, Jeff, is a lot of people are really relooking at what they want their jobs to be in the restaurant business. If you know, a lot of people in the restaurant business have had a chance in a year to say is this really what I want to do for a living? A lot of people are saying no and those folks are having very very difficult time restaurant owners finding people that are willing to work in that industry.
3: Michael, if we can talk about the market reaction a little bit to the numbers, we saw caution leading up to the result, uh, particularly in the technology names. But then as the data crossed, we saw the Nasdaq uh, unleash uh, some gains and and certainly stretch high, which means these major indices are not far off some of the records. What do you make of the entry point here and just how would you be positioned around this data?
4: Well, first of all, um, remember, technology tends to respond pretty strongly Um, as you know, care into inflation data, Uh, I think you got to be really, really careful when you're buying at these levels. Uh, For example, if you're sitting in cash and you think, boy, markets are all time high, wouldn't this be a great time to invest a chunk of money? Maybe not. Maybe you got to be a little cautious and really spread it out over time because I think the entry point right now is pretty rich. I think if you're going to be entering into equity markets, you probably don't want to be entering into these, some of these names that have spiked so much higher and instead maybe more value-oriented names. There's going to be a value rotation, I think, uh, a more dividend-oriented names. So I think you got to be cautious. And that's certainly how we're positioning portfolios. We're not out there really stretching beta names. We're out, We're not out there stretching really high valuation names because we think there's just too much risk with the market near an all-time high. Michael, I've got a confession to make. I didn't know
2: where Walnut Creek was, but I do now. And I've had a look at uh, uh, your county and it's very interesting. Contra Costa County, an average house price March last year was seven hundred and ten thousand bucks for a single family home. It's now up to nine hundred and ninety thousand dollars. If that ain't inflation, my friend, I don't know what is. These rates are not appropriate for those kind of house prices, are they?
4: Uh, Well, that certainly is inflation. If you're looking at housing prices, housing prices, certainly in Northern California, whether it's Walnut Creek or San Francisco, uh, are up 15, 20, 25%. There's multiple bids on virtually every property that comes. That certainly is inflationary. Now, is that being driven by low Fed rates? Yes, I suppose it is. But that's just kind of a natural consequence of Fed policy. So is that going to spill out into the economy in terms of inflation? I don't think that really higher house prices really are going to stimulate inflation. What's going to cause inflation to go up are food prices, gas prices, which are in fact going up, but they're certainly not going as much as, going up as much as house prices, which in many cases in a year or two have gone up, believe it or not, 20, 30, 40% in some cases.
2: Michael, I'm going to jump in and disagree with you. Our Bob Gasoline July year-to-date is up 57%. You've talked to me already about record highs uh, on the market. We've talked about 280,000 buck increase on an average home in uh, your, your home county as well at the moment. We're also talking about companies who can't hire staff as well. Add it all together, and I'm not so relaxed as you,
4: Michael. Uh, I'm not that relaxed, and if I'm giving you that impression, then I'm I'm giving you the wrong impression. It does make me nervous, but we do have something else that is a bit of a counteracting effect, uh, which is we have tax increases coming. Tax increases tend to be headwinds for economy, we also have a situation where raw materials are simply not available. And if raw materials are not available, that's going, to imp- uh, that's going to impact the price of goods as well in terms of those assets simply not being purchased. So I think inflation is certainly a concern, but there's a reason why the 10-year treasury is at 1.6. Even though everyone is screaming about inflation, why isn't the 10-year treasury at 2.5? Because the bond market is screaming to you, Steve, right now, it's something to be nervous about. But relax. We need to to see how this plays out over the next 90 days. And we'll see that this week with the prints on inflation data.
0: Michael, good to see you. Thanks for helping us. Michael Yoshikami, CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Do you know Walnut Creek? I don't know Walnut Creek. It looks lovely. We've got this place called Mount Diablo. Yes. It looks gorgeous. That doesn't sound encouraging. Well, Mount, Mount Diablo. <laughs> Diablo,
2: Mount Diablo State Park. Wait, how
0: often does it blow? its stack.
2: Well, it doesn't look like it. it looks beautiful, right. though. I have okay. to say, nice part of the world. Yeah, it sounds lovely. You know, Oakland. Do you go drive through there at all? Uh, many moons a ago. A bit Haven't of a road trip US US back in the day. Time, no, no, they won't no, we'll be like, back in for a while either. Well, uh, and plus,
0: there's the warm welcome you get at immigration.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm go to Disney, mate. You know, yeah. what are you doing? Against What's the your business, wall, sir? Here, so? Against the
0: wall. I just want to go to Disney. Chinese trade data misses expectations in May, but expectations... Sports and imports continue to rise. We'll have more details
3: when we come back. Stay with us. And for more on the G7's historic breakthrough on taxation, don't forget you can check out the Squawk Box podcast.
2: Rod in the company, Rod the just told me to add lib oil. But i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a look at copper, which was down 3.2%. Lo- <laughs> he likes that one. Uh, 3.2% last week, copper was down. Now, oil was up massively last week. I'll just tell you the numbers. WTI up 5%. Brent up 4.6%. Mm. But, but so, yeah, just giving back a little bit of ground now, multi-week, month, year highs mm. and what have you. Mm. But very interesting, the copper rolled over a little bit last week as well. So despite the fact that I've been talking a lot about some of these crazy, crazy prices on some of these commodities. I thought it was interesting that Dr. Copper, and I call it Dr. Copper because, of yep. course, some people think it's a metaphor for the broader economy, just rolled over a bit last week.
0: China is cracking down on speculators domestically, and I think that is having some impact on these metals prices. Um, the other thing that was quite interesting is that Elon Musk has shelved the uh, long-range Tesla that they were planning to roll out in about 2022 2023 right. which again is very interesting because i think part of the reason the narrative around copper going up has been of course we're all moving to evs we're all going to be driving evs the ice engines uh, being um uh, basically mothballed uh, ruled out of existence Taxed like the dinosaurs yeah. um but i thought that was kind of interesting yeah. That um, Elon Musk has shelved those plans. Could, could now that could be. Did you say, could could you say the heartbreak emoji
2: for like long range Tesla heartbreak emoji? Isn't that what he did with Bitcoin last week? Yes, it was. That, that, that was the rumor in the late district, anyway. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chinese trade data
0: then missed expectations in May, despite exports rising by almost twenty eight percent. Sam is with us to unpack what the latest data means. Good morning, Sam.
5: Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, well, while the number is certainly still an impressive figure, I think it's really important to understand why we saw this slowdown in momentum, certainly on the export side of things. It's a bit of a shopping list, but I think it really is important to highlight. Firstly, I mean, you really only have to look as far as those official PMI numbers that we got out last week, which did show a slowdown in factory activity, certainly at the bigger and state-owned firms, which was because of rising raw material costs, which a lot of those companies can't pass on as easily to the customer as the private and smaller firms because of the government guidance that they are given. Of course, another challenge for Chinese exporters has been this strengthening in the yuan, which is near at three-year highs against the greenback. Logistics, bottlenecks and freight costs have also all caused headwinds for these Chinese exporters. Economists have also attributed this slowdown to what's going on in Guangdong province in the south of China, which is now seeing a spike in cases of COVID. This is where a lot of factories and ports are based. It's known as the factory floor of the world. And a lot of electronics come out of this uh, area. And so uh, this makes up for about one quarter of Chinese exports. So when that hurts, you really feel it. There is said to be a bit of a backlog at the moment at those ports because of the situation there. And that is expected to continue into the month of June and so that is largely why uh, we have seen this all weighing uh, on that growth in May but I think it's important to still point out uh, that China really is still one of the only factory floors that is uh, still open and uh, while that marks a slowdown I think it's important to highlight that, that those exporters at uh, Karen are still benefiting from these lockdowns around the world but also the opening up that we're seeing at the same time.